0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Best Revenge on the Fleming Foundation. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by the revenger-in-chief, Dr. Thomas Fleming. Dr. Fleming, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Today, we're going to be talking about that scourge of modernity, the so-called diet. And uh, I don't know if there's even such a word really here in in France, Dr. Fleming, when you explain that there's uh, these diets, they they sort of... uh, scrunch their eyebrows. They don't really understand what an American means when they talk about a fad diet. But um, as someone who hasn't been around too long, I wanted to get the longer view from you as to what your feeling was about fad diets uh, a long time ago and uh, what you've seen the progression up to present day.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the French are funny because they, they typically don't go on diets, or if they do, what it means, they're on a temporary health regimen for la foi. You know, they, they're they always worried about the condition of their liver from eating and drinking too much. And so, you know, it's it's like you go on an exercise program. It's temporary. It's designed to restore your appetite so that you can go back to enjoying a lot of rich, fatty food. The... um. There's something uh, really American about uh, fad dieting. It, it obviously many societies have had have had um, uh, restrictions. Many societies have been very concerned about being healthy. The Egyptians were were they weren't health obsessed, but they didn't. They thought being fat was a kind of sinful condition, and they would ridicule fat people. The Greeks thought being fit was was an important part of their life, as did the Romans. That's quite different from the American fad diet, which is, it exists in so many different forms. But the essence of the fad diet is that I know something you don't know. I have this peculiar thing that has been come up with, been devised, and I will lead a better life by doing just this one thing. If you look at the internet all these ads will say learn the one trick that will lose you 50 pounds and make you make you look 50 years younger and and attract women. <laughs> I mean you we we <laughs> we are the la- a
0: land of nation a nation of people wearing
1: a kick me sign. <laughs>
0: Well, the the phrase that's used is hacking. A lot of times, Dr. Fleming, there's life hacking, there's time hacking, there's, I don't know, mom hacking. And the idea, again, that that golden uh, egg that's laid out for you is you will have this great advantage or know these things. And you won't have to do any of the work in order to get there or only half of the work. And, And that's attractive to dunces from every century. Yes.
1: Well, you know, uh, it used to be back in the 50s, if you turn on the television or you turn on the radio, uh, they, they would they'd tell you that, you know, the, the, the great classical music, movements movement, moments of the great classical music, get a quick a, a quick shortcut to a broad knowledge of classical music. Da-da-da-da! Yes, that's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And this and many other treasures are available for, you know, and, and some dunce. Was going to you know pay his twelve ninety nine and become an overnight cocktail party expert on serious music. Now the trouble that all that's funny diet diet uh, fads of course can be quite dangerous. I read an article the other day that a Houston doctor uh, has been reporting uh, some r- real ser- really serious neurological side effects of various fad dieting, especially various weight loss programs. Even scurvy, which is a serious vitamin C deficiency that you know produces some very very bad symptoms, starting with just tiredness and listlessness, but it can can go quite bad. Uh, scurvy is rearing its ugly head because there are people who are not eating fruits because there's too much uh, sweet in them, uh, sugar in them. There's um, a couple. Some years ago, I read about a case where two women. Had put their babies on sodium free formulas. But the babies weren't not only not putting on weight, they were not developing uh, intellectually the way babies should. And finally, one of, the, one of the grandmothers took the baby to the doctor and the doctor said, this baby is suffering from serious sodium deficiency because, you know, and that's why it's not having any neurological development. This is probably a permanent harm done to the development of the baby's brain and nervous system. Now, you know, these loony women based, and, and by the way, they were professional class women. Based on women's magazines that they read, who knows, in the doctor's office or wherever they read these things, and they got this bright idea: we're going to make our babies uh, sodium-free, as if sodium weren't an absolutely essential uh, element in in a, in a, any kind of healthy diet. You 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 read these things all over. There's the people are taking the so-called paleo diet because primitive man lived off dinosaur meat or whatever well this is not true at all primitive man lived off fresh fruits and nuts and uh, the grains that grew wild and in fact you know the the biggest breakthrough probably in the history of the human race the biggest sort of economic technological breakthrough is when people found uh... that they could store grains in a, in, a, in a hole in the ground that you would put clay into and then if you put fire into this clay it would then uh, seal it up and you could store these grains as a food over the winter because if you can't store surplus flu food you can't have a permanent settlement you can't have a home you can there's all sorts of things civilization depended on the development of wheat and barley and these other grains and so now we have these people who think they, they must have read some high school book about paleoanthropology and early man or seen a disney film and they think that you're supposed to live off uh... meat and fruit uh, there's the werewolf diet, by the way. this is a good one. you you regulate your eating according to the phases of the moon. I, I, I wonder if uh, you know if uh, wolf's bane will will keep these people away I once I once had a we once had some young people to at a party at our house at an outdoor par- uh, thing we were cooking steaks and hamburgers, and one guy claimed to be a, a, a vegetarian. But I made the mistake of cooking his vegetables on the same grill with uh, meat. And he said a single particle of meat protein or fat, if it splattered on his uh, peppers, would cause him to go into instant convulsions and die. I found out later from his workmates that were in the habit of ordering Chinese food laced laced with lots of meat and fat. And feeding it to him and laughing at it behind his back.
0: <laughs> well, I, I when you're when you're saying these things, I'm reminded of the quote from Chesterton, which says that when when men don't believe in God, they don't believe in nothing; they'll they'll believe in anything. And I think about how militantly some of these people uh, observe their diets, and then they add these religious ornamentation. I'd only recently, I know, in the preparation for the show, you had mentioned this the existence of uh, Meatless Mondays. I had only recently found out about this phenomenon. I thought, oh, that sounds curiously like a Fish on Fridays for Catholics. I wonder where they got that idea. And um, that, that they have to take a, a sort of religious... Uh, Uh, devotion to these diets because it's taking the place that a religion would have in which you'd have seasons in which we eat a certain type of food or we have certain cakes or in fact we fast because it's the ember days or we you know it's the it's right before a major feast so we have in a certain way as catholics were a bit spoiled the liturgy helps to regulate our, our diet in a certain way but vegans don't so vegans have to make up their own stuff
1: yeah, the the um it it, it 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 has been observed many times and Chesterton among them that the real the real uh driving force of uh, Western culture since the since the early nineteenth century has been to find substitutes for Christianity, whether in art or in sports or in heroic politicking or, you know, Wagnerian music, whatever it is. Or, or uh, especially uh, uh, millenarian political movements, um, it's 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 we have to we have to live. Man, man is born to be a religious animal. He can't live without religion. But you know, religions that evolve over time or are, are happen to be based on something true, though, those religions are quite different from the strange cults that grow up. When people turn away from their religion, you know, one of the biggest vegetarians of the twentieth century was was Adolf Hitler, because <laughs> Hitler was obsessed with you know physical purity, and uh, his his uh, his own personal diet physician said after the war that he had a model diet. He never ate meat. He was you know and, and such a kind man to <laughs> dogs and children also. <laughs> um, no, because not this kind of looniness. Uh, they, they all uh, go together, and it, has, it gets worse as time goes on. You know, in the 19th century, there was, of course, a ton of this stuff, um, like uh, today we eat graham crackers without thinking too much that uh, graham flour was invented by an early 19th century American Presbyterian minister. And he was a big advocate of temperance, you know, no alcohol, women's rights. He was a vegetarian, uh, abolitionist. I mean, whatever whatever craze there was floating out there in the air. And uh, Graham believed that you had to eat unprocessed flour. And in fact, uh, he, he and a guy named William Metcalf founded the Vegetarian Church just before the war between the states. Their object, their object, was to gain longevity by minimizing stress and by stress they meant pleasure. And so one of the, object, one of the advantages of eating food made with graham flour is that it would depress the sexual in- drive. And in fact the same thing is true of uh, the Kellogg Empire which was not just cornflakes but you know they had a spa and a diet center and people would come and to be cured of all their mental and spiritual ills. So again this uh, America really is the land of the fruits and the nuts. We we have been doing this. You know if you if you look if you look in the in the like uh, America in the 1830s 40s 50s You've got all these cults breaking out. You know, you got the the Mormons, and of course, the Mormons have their own uh, dietary restrictions, which are totally capricious. You're not uh, you're not supposed to uh, drink coffee or tea. And I've asked a Mormon, "Well, is that because of the caffeine? So, can you drink Coca-Cola?" And they and well. Uh, you know, the Blessed Brigham Young didn't, uh, didn't because, because this is, does not come from the Book of Mormon or from Joseph Smith. It's an invention of uh, Brigham Young. And they'll say, well, if you're really a good Mormon, you won't drink decaffeinated coffee and you won't drink caffeinated beverages. So you're left basically with seven up. <laughs> I once went to a Mormon party. And it was it was uh, you know they were n- nice people I mean they're very nice people. Well,
0: they got but, jello everywhere or something. something
1: yeah, like. well, it was uh, they had sticky fruit punch with very sweet brownies. I mean, I I took a little bit of this, and uh, I started getting dizzy. So <laughs> in it, at one point, I went out to the car where I had kept a a flash <laughs> concealed so that I could uh, numb some of the pain, but. Um, <laughs> no, but it it is, it it is very strange when asked if you ask an intelligent Mormon, what's the purpose to this? they'll say uh, well, because Brigham Young said so and and if we're going to be good Mormons we'll be. So there's no rational Now now Mormons who aren't so bright will claim that that oh these things aren't good for you or they'll come up with various reasons but no, it just sets them apart. In the same way, you know, the prohibition in the Old Testament on eating pork, people will say, well, you know, pork has trichinosis, and uh, that's it's, it's an unhealthy meat. No, that's not true at all. Uh, trichinosis is a New World disease. There's nothing unhealthy about pork in Europe or in the Middle East. There was no absolutely no dietary disadvantage. It may have something to do with the habits of the early uh, nomadic Jews. They couldn't keep pigs but it was just a way of saying there's the clean and the unclean and every society has a way of saying some things are clean some things are unclean what, what happens when you declare everything that really tastes good or is good for you like uh... <laughs> like meat and dairy and eggs what if you declare all that unclean you ever hung around vegans very long i mean they're they're not only very weird people but they're very unhealthy people
0: mm. I think one of the challenges I come up uh, against (laughs) is this sense that we are surrounded by uh, people who have a a huge gluten intolerance now, a a sort of very violent one. And I I haven't investigated enough to really have an informed opinion, but I really wonder where is this violent reaction against... I've even seen it such that uh, people uh, going up to communion... I've seen accommodations where uh, a child receives the host uh, first, uh, and he there is one specific non-gluten host that's consecrated for this child, or someone receives only by the precious blood uh, again at the end or the beginning of the ceremony. And I think to myself, is it really that bad? Uh, and I guess
1: there's a simple answer to that, and the answer is no. Uh, very few people, gluten allergies exist, but very few people have them it's very very rare it always has been it is increasing slightly these days but it is it is so rare that you would probably go through life and out of all the people you meet one or two might be uh, sufferers some guy did a study recently uh... uh with, in combination with some doctors and he said that of the people who claim to be either allergic or intolerant to gluten the, the the most generous estimate is that one-sixth of them have a, a, any kind of serious problem. The others, it's all totally in the mind.
0: I, I, I'm thinking of uh, getting on a flight for uh, Southwest Airlines and they're coming over the PA and says, well, one of our passengers has a peanut allergy, so we won't be serving any peanuts yeah. today. And I thought, well, why don't we just open it and kill this guy already? You know, <laughs> put him out of his misery. The thing um, is, peanut allergies are—they're very
1: rare. They're usually not just to peanuts, but they're to most ground nuts. Uh, often, the allergy uh, uh, is not the same for ground nuts and tree nuts. Some people are allergic to both. When, if you have that one bad, uh, no, sitting next to somebody uh, eating, opening up a bag of peanuts is not going to hurt him. But eating a peanut would probably kill it. Yeah. And so that's a—that's a very serious problem. But again, it's very, very rare. What some people have is a reaction to nuts, which is semi-allergic, but by no means life-threatening. And you know why that is growing? It's because loony American women to go on fad diets when they're pregnant and they decide that peanuts are dangerous. And, they, and, and by the way, this has been medically proved. That peanuts are dangerous, so they don't eat any nuts while they're pregnant, and so their baby is born w- w- un- unable to process nuts. The same thing happens with the so-called gluten intolerant, and 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 I have a good friend who is self-diagnosed, even though he's married to a doctor, and he claims to he claims to be gluten intolerant. Well, maybe he is, but the fact is that if you don't eat any gluten. Uh, food based food pasta bread, etc, if you don't eat it for two years, w- whether you were intolerant before you are now because you just your body is no longer used to processing it. The same thing happens to vegetarians if you if you don't eat any meat for a couple of years, then when you do have meat you 'll feel sick to your stomach and you'll have all sorts of weird reactions because your body's just not used to it, so a lot of it is we we turn ourselves into freaks. By, the, by, by getting some nutty idea that some totally unqualified person suggested. You know, we heard it from Oprah or, or that uh, Turkish maniac, Dr. Oz, on television, who it testifies over and over, he's endorsed products he doesn't know anything about. But, but then people go out and make millions and millions of dollars selling totally worthless junk. And he's
0: still on television. So By you know, way, I think,
1: he, I think he interviewed Donald Trump a week ago.
0: Well, uh, there's, there's a qualified there. opinion there. <laughs> so you're saying intolerance of, of gluten can make you gluten intolerant over yes, time. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> now there are, um, and most people who are gluten intolerant are not allergic. There's a big difference. In other words, if you um, allergies don't make you sick to your stomach, allergies make you break out, or you can't breathe, or you have it all. You have rashes whereas most people who claim to be gluten intolerant they they get stomach aches or diarrhea and that there the solution really is mo- moderate consumption of the product will redu- will reduce the symptoms i mean it's just it it, it is it is so so uh, crazy people will go on you know uh, like a uh, a a no carb diet for a while uh, in order to lose weight and at the, when they're through with it they find that uh high carb uh, food products like like bread or pasta make them ill and then there's of course this crazed idea that you know mankind is not supposed to eat this where it's uh, the world is uh, you know it, it's been bad that's why you see the big the big uh gluten-eaters like the, the Egyptians, the, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the French, they never did anything for civilization. We should, we should imitate you know, the, the, the Germanic barbarian savages living in the Black Forest.
0: <laughs> well, I, would you agree, though, with me, Dr. Fleming, that we, there, my perception is when I was younger, which wasn't that long ago, I just didn't even hear about this. No one would mention, oh, so Jimmy's on a on a gluten free diet, so we can't do such and such. And whereas in the last five or ten years, I'll hear about this, or I'll have dinner with someone. Someone says, oh, I can't eat this, or I can't eat that. And I, when I was younger, I never heard this. And I just feel that this is on a rise. Do you do you feel that this has been true? And and I, I wanted to get your second um, secondhand reporting from what garrett may have been observing on the professional side and what he's had to deal with uh, with his customers
1: yes well it's 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 definitely uh... you know it it it, it it's a craze like transgenderism it's just one of these self-destructive t- things that enter into the urban folklore i was with my our son chef garrett in uh, in sicily some years ago and Some people. There was a a lady there who. There was one lady who actually had a seri uh, has a a celiac disease, and she doesn't run around talking about it or complaining about it. She just sort of avoids things. And uh, but there was another person who had been on every other fad diet, and was now gluten free, and and so. um, But then somebody had the bad taste to say, but didn't you have cancer a few years ago? And she said yes, but that's before I learned about these new food fads that I <laughs> and new things that I have to eliminate from my diet. The, you, you, these, the, this is what they live for. They live. It, it's like the the portrait uh, in uh, of in Theophrastus of the superstitious man. You you know everything that happens. You know a leaf falls on your foot, and you say ah, this means something. It's a constant in a in a world stripped every day more and more a world without meaning we have to come up with weird rituals and prohibitions that to as as we were talking earlier to replace you know orderly regular religion so dieting is as you say a secular form of fasting but it's not really secular it's uh... It, it's it's uh, it's cultish and religious cults always—they have to control you, so they have to say um, you can have twenty women or you can have no women. You, uh, you, or uh, you like the Shakers, no, absolutely no sexual activity, or uh, the Unification Church with mass weddings. Control of sexuality and family life is what is the hallmark of a cult, and this is where this is a cult aspect of Mormonism because not only were they. Traditionally allowed to have many wives, but also, you know, they t- the Mormons tend to divide families up. They have special meetings just for grown men, for boys, for girls, for, for and for married women, and uh, because this allows them to exert more control over the family. They're not a they're as cults go. It's it's a a lot of Mormons are fairly normal people, but nonetheless, nonetheless, the di- the, the weird diet is uh, is usually a sign. Fasting in a religious community is corporate. It's collective. It it ties a people together. But fad dieting creates a sect. It's like the Jehovah's Witnesses who can't celebrate birthdays or or Christmas. It sets them apart and they feel different. They feel peculiar. And uh, that is not a wholesome feeling to encourage.
0: I think I think, the, especially in a country that celebrates food as much as, as France, Dr. Lemme, I, mean, I think it's it's ultimately a feeling, perhaps bemusement, but some slight pity that that people have to deal with this or they, they feel so convinced. Again, there's a, a great skepticism I have that after thousands of years of eating bread and meat and fish, we've suddenly discovered that it's poison. And we look at all of these traditional diets you know and i think of the the longest uh the longest lived people in the world people like the japanese uh the japanese eat a very traditional diet there's no fads there's no gluten free yeah. anything i mean rice is a big part of their of their daily diet and um, the evidence is, is pretty well in there that traditional diets do quite well for people. Whatever region you're from, if you have a traditional African diet, if you're from a particular part of Africa or traditional Japanese diet, that your longevity is tied to that, not to observing some trendy Western diet.
1: Yeah, I, I my own view is that anything, any social or intellectual or cultural tradition that's been invented in, since the French Revolution is probably a terrible idea and that we don't need it and so uh, and, and I would say probably even since the Renaissance which like uh, when people talk about the this or that new theological fad I'm not interested or talk about a diet fad or an, an exercise fad or a new way of living the whole idea of treating your life as some kind of project of self-fulfillment the purpose-driven life, the diet-driven life, the exercise-driven <laughs> life. I mean, I, you, you have to feel very sorry for people who can't wake up and just l- l- go through the day as a normal human being, but, but have to, you know, somewhere they heard the unexamined life was not worth leading f- from, from Socrates, and therefore, you know, the unprogrammed life you know, the, the unfad-crazed life uh, is not worth leading. They've, all, they've got to have some new craze uh, to keep them going and to give them something to talk about to bore people at cocktail parties.
0: I always feel bad for the people who, who cite uh, scientific or medical studies telling me that red wine and dark chocolate are now good for you the week after they were declared not to be good for you. And yeah. What yeah. a tragedy to live your dietary life based on scientific uh, commentary. Yeah, yeah. Since this show is titled "the the uh, the best revenge," Darkling. In this particular episode, I suppose I have a, a two two part question to to bring us towards our conclusion. The the first is what is a what is a a gentlemanly and thoughtful way, or a, a, if, a, if for our female listeners, a, a ladylike way to react when we're at a dinner or we're out with people say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. What's a good way to engage with these people to maybe start to pull them out of their own self-imposed cultdom? And apart from that, what can we do as a sort of anti-diet celebration in the tradition of the best revenge?
1: Um, These are both uh, excellent uh, points to raise. The first one is very difficult because people... It's one thing to have a fad diet. It's another thing to make it a point of conversation at a party or at a dinner party. People who are drawing attention to themselves have already sort of made you realize that they fall into that great class of Americans known as the jerk uh and because really it's nobody's it's it's of no interest to anybody to know what you're eating this week or which movement you've joined or which uh which undergarment you have burned to show that you're a liberated woman uh all of that is in not only in in the worst of taste but it, it's it's just simply rude and it shows that you look upon other people as uh sort of put you you're, you're a predator going to the party and they're the prey I know some ni- otherwise nice people who have a uh, uh, a nazi uh, uh, infatuation and you can't say anything without it turning out to be connected somehow with Adolf Hitler or one of one of those other charming people and there's nothing there's nothing you can do you can't help them otherwise um, other than to say. You know, none of that stuff really interests me. I'm sorry. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it interests you, but um, I, I, I just could never uh, get interested. I just eat what I eat, uh, because otherwise, that's the rest of the night. Because if you engage them with this on this topic, then that, then the whole dinner party becomes P, uh, a Q and A session in which uh, they get to star in their own uh, d- daytime infomercial. So, I, 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 you know, if it's just a, a child, a, t- a teenage girl or something who's going through a phase, then uh, you can say something like, uh, well, I, I, I thought you were a religious Christian, and, you know, vegetarianism is showing hatred for the creation, hatred for the fact that human beings were created omnivorous, and we were meat is part of what we're, we're designed to eat. I've known people, by the way, who forced their cats on vegetarian diets. Now that is, that is a, what does a cat live for? I mean, other than e- eating, hunting, and sex, that's all a cat has. It can't stand <laughs> us, you know. So, uh, and I've I've, I've, been, I've owned a I've well,
0: owned I've I've been allowed to live in my house by several uh, <laughs> <laughs> very, very gracious and magnanimous cats. There there is a there is a famous uh, famous within internet spheres, Doctor Fleming. But there was a picture of a uh, dog. Uh, who was being given a bowl of vegan food, and the caption was, "My look how look how happy my dog is to get a vegan, you know, hundred percent vegan diet." And then several veterinarians got on the thread and started explaining how, by the certain physical symptoms that the dog was showing, yeah. that not only was the dog unhappy, but the nostrils, the eyes, etc., were showing deprivation. It says, it says it's all well and good for you to be vegan but don't don't think that you you know if you want to be so scientific that dogs biology has nothing to do with you so in this case they they need to they're so proud of their veganism that they force it upon these these poor unwitting animals yeah no it's 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 extremely cruel and, and but but
1: by the way it it, it is exactly the kind of uh, Jacobin Marxist mentality that you know Marx said man is the creature who makes his own essence you know and we can in, we can reinvent ourselves. You know, chimpanzees eat meat whenever they can get it, and, you know, they are, our, they are 99% plus uh, the same uh, genetic material as Homo uh, sapiens. We were designed to have a mixed diet that includes some meat protein. That's how we got to be taller. That's how our brains got bigger. One of the things you'll notice about vegetarians is that their brains are shrinking. Because, oh, and because they cannot frame a, ra- a rational argument. But to then, to think that I can reinvent my dog, you know, who, <laughs> who, li- who lives for chasing small animals, killing them and eating them, that, and, you know, and not, not just Scottish Terriers, which are my family's breed of choice, but all dogs. Dogs don't, they're not browsers. They're hunters. So, uh, there's not much you can do with such people. You can point out the obvious. For example, you, you can say, you know, uh, extreme vegan dieting is, is bad for most people. It's not part of the Western tradition. It stunts brain development. And of course, that's why it's so addictive because you get, the more you live that way, the dumber you get. But, uh, <clears throat> other than that, there's just, and, and resolve, n- uh, never to spend time with them again. Now, you know, again, young teenage girls are sort of a special category because they're obsessed with their bodies and they talk about this stuff all the time. We would, uh, our son's girlfriends would come to dinner and they would all, and, and inevitably one of them would, would be a, would be a, a vegetarian, but they'd be, but they would stare, you know, at the, at the meat on our plate. And after a while, before long, they're, they're, they're grabbing a quarter pound of bacon. So uh, this, is, this is so we, you've done them done them a favor. On the other hand, uh, what what can what can people who are uh, I- I besieged by by media coverage and by and by eccentrics of every kind? Well, how can you lead a healthy life? I mean, I, I'm far from advocating that people let themselves go and eat junk food and drink Coca-Cola. I, I drink maybe two or three soft drinks a year. Uh, and always at the end of a long flight when I'm tired and dehydrated and, and need some caffeine. But uh, the it eating sensibly means, first of all, mostly making your own food, not going out even to good restaurants, because even good restaurants will tempt your palate into eating too much. Um, it, years ago, somebody gave me the advice, when you go to a supermarket, only shop for food along the periphery. You know, because you walk in uh, on the on the outside wall, you get the vegetables, then the meat, then the fish and poultry, then the the uh, and then the dairy and the the eggs. And if you stick, do your best to stick to that and not and not buy processed food, not frozen, not canned, not dried. Uh, you're better off. Anytime you see an aisle that's labeled vegan or gluten free, uh, uh, avoid it because usually this is, this is pr- very, very overly processed food that is designed to fleece the poor sucker who, who has been, who thinks he's on some special diet. Um, so eat less. We, we don't, uh, we, we fat Americas, I'm, I'm a little overweight. We fat Americas just need to eat a little less, but we need to eat better. The better you eat, uh, the, the, uh, you don't have the constant food cravings. You were mentioning, Stephen, your experience of losing weight when you moved to Paris.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Well, tell us about it.
0: Well, I, I suppose part of it is enabled by being in a, a highly urban environment. You, you walk a lot. You don't, you don't use a car. And so you're, you're constantly going up and downstairs if you use the metro. And it's, it's a very walkable city. It's a couple thousand years old. So it wasn't really built for cars. So I think one component of losing weight is the physical exercise that your body craves. The second is that it's not really socially acceptable for adults to snack in France. It's not done. And I didn't realize until I moved here how much of a snacker I was. I think I, I just was over the years, and it's culturally acceptable in America. But here, when you're the only person who does something, you find it strange, and then you stop doing it. And then, uh, lastly, when we do eat, the meals, uh, the portion sizes are smaller, and the the pace of the courses are purposely staggered. So I know that they're not going to fire the main course until everybody has finished their appetizers, and there's probably been a five-minute interval. The, the waiter is always watching our table to decide when to fire the courses. And if you look at that, that that's my magical fad diet, Dr. Fleming. Uh, no snacking, uh, plenty of appropriate exercise, and smaller portion sizes. And, uh, and, and when you do have those portions, having them properly spaced so your brain has enough time to get the signal from your stomach that you're full.
1: Yeah, there are several, several good points there. One, one reminds me of, uh, I used to know reasonably well the, the novelist Muriel Spark, and she had been tending to plumpness over the years, and, um, and she, which she talks about in some of her novels, but she had told me that she simply started eating half of what she had been. When she made herself dinner, she, a meal, she made half of what she used to make. And when she ate out in a restaurant, she simply ate half what they served her. And she, lo- she lost a lot of weight within two years and kept it off. But she wasn't unhealthily slim. No, I mean, she just, she, she just realized that she had been in a habit of eating uh, much too much. On the, uh, the notion of, uh, of eating you know, smaller courses, what the French know and the Italians know, and I suspect the Chinese, though I don't know enough about that, but the, the French and Italians have evolved over, uh, over uh, hundreds, even thousands of years have evolved a, an intuitive understanding of foods that go together that work together that make you feel good when they're eaten together and so you don't just you, you don't eat a steak and a pork chop you know together <laughs> but you know there is the there is the 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 uh, the first course what the entrée? The, in America, the people think entrée, which means entry. People think it means the main course. On the contrary, it means the the the, the lighter first course in a French meal, uh, and um, the the this mixture. You know, for example, something like uh, one of my favorites, leeks à la grec, as the first course. And then followed by, uh, you know, a small portion of meat with a little vegetable and a, a little cheese. All of these things work together. A- and uh, similarly, Italian beginning with a little, a little sliced meat and, and then <coughs> pasta and a, a small meat course. All of these things produce a feeling of satisfaction and contentment. It's it's not psychological purely. It's physiological. But that feeling, that that feeling of satisfaction and happiness, of course, is is your body's way of telling you you have eaten correctly. This is how you're supposed to eat. This is how you're supposed to live. And diet crazes, which are invented, you know, by somebody, you know, sort of like Kwanzaa as a holiday. Somebody gets a bright idea for something to sell, and so before long, you're you're drink you're you're. My poor father, who had had put on too much weight, was drinking quarts of safflower oil day after day after day until he got his first heart attack. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure they're not related, but actually they, they, they could very well be. But um, so this this business just follow within a tradition. And if you, you come from a decent culinary tradition, you can, of course, refine it. You know, if you come from the South, not every vegetable has to be drenched in pork fat. There are, there are alternatives, <laughs> although they're, they're awfully delicious when they are. But there, there are ways of eating, uh, uh, you know, in, in a balanced way that pleases the palate, makes you happy, turns, turns the, the, the eating into a kind of pleasant convivial ritual. In which everybody walks away to light I mean, as opposed to st- sitting in front of a TV and cramming, uh, huge amounts of, uh, of, uh, 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 meat and, uh, fr- fried starch into you. <laughs>
0: I mean, uh, speaking of contentment, Dr. Fleming, I, I can't think of any healthy preparations, but I, I will tell you, fried okra, collards, and a sweet potato pie, uh, will, will comfort me <laughs> until my grave, I'm sure. We don't have. Well, a- A lot of that on this side of the Atlantic. No,
1: it does. You know, the other night I made uh, my wife and I made uh, made uh, uh, okra gumbo, and it was uh, I forget because even up here in Illinois, you can occasionally get decent decent okra. Southern cuisine is the both uh, in the uh, Low Country, South Carolina, and and in New Orleans, but even in the in the backwoods, it's the only uh, really decent cuisine in, in the United States that has that has a serious tradition behind it. It can be improved naturally uh, but but still it's an authentic cuisine that you but whereas Midwestern cuisine has been always much too heavy in potatoes, much too heavy in in, in fat and uh, there's a reason why states like Wisconsin are the fattest state in the Union.
0: That, that, that's something I like to point out. A lot of times Europeans will say, oh, you know, American food, its burgers and hot dogs and pizza. And I said, well, that's because you've never been to the South. You want to talk about food that has character, food that stands out. I could talk to you all day about fried chicken, gumbo, shrimp and grits um, and all of those wonderful culinary traditions. So if you go to the North, they don't have any. I mean, maybe you've got Boston clam chowder. But other than that, you, you don't really have a, a universe surrounding all of these different foods and a tradition that, that it comes from. So maybe that bland uh, label of, oh, that's American food sticks. But I said, if you're talking about the South, uh, none of your labels of it being bland and terrible are going to stick.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't. Uh, the, the, even, the, even the French have to take it back when they go to New Orleans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, uh, Doug, let me, are, is there anything else that you'd like to to add today that we haven't had a chance to talk about
1: just one thing and that is I'm, I'm suggesting that people take their eating seriously that they eat that they eat fresh and healthy but that they, they don't turn it into a religion don't they don't displace the, the the things that belong to God do not belong to the kitchen and that if you are eating very healthy don't don't be afraid to 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 buy a package of Cheetos and wash it down with the uh, grocery store margaritas. You know, fall, fall, falling off the wagon occasionally is not, is not the sin against the Holy Spirit.
0: I think that's a good place for us to end. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email Thomas at Fleming.Foundation. We want to remind you that The Best Revenge is a production of The Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to james at fleming.foundation. As always, thanks to our Gold and Charter members, who we produce these podcasts for and who ensure that they can be produced in the first place. I want to thank Dr. Fleming for his time, and until next episode, on behalf of the Foundation, make the most of the Dark Age.